You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 55. Welcome back to where we chat with a different entrepreneur every week, from app developers, sales experts, and coaches, to authors and social media influencers. We focus on their journeys, how they built their businesses, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Together, we confirm that there is no formula to success. I want to thank all the listeners that have been supporting the No Formula podcast. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think about the interviews and don't forget to subscribe. Hala Taha is the host of the Young and Profiting podcast. With over 1 million downloads across all platforms, Yap is a top 10 self-improvement and how-to podcast on Apple Podcasts. In this episode, Hala tells us about her experience in radio as a blogger managing 15 people and her experience in the corporate world as a marketing expert. She recounts the several times she was rejected, but how it led to her success today. Her story of perseverance left me speechless more than once. You don't want to miss how she needed to build thick skin. Plus, she reveals actionable podcasting tips on how to grow a successful podcast. Definitely listen to Young and Profiting on Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, keep listening to hear how Hala hung out with Jennifer Lopez and Drake and how she almost got her own show on MTV. Hi, Hala. Thank you so much for being on the No Formula podcast. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm happy to be here. I'm very excited. This You are the first podcaster I have on the No Formula podcast, so I'm very excited to ask you a lot of questions um, about your tips and tricks. And uh, yeah, so I just want to get started with your journey, and we're going to start with your career. So tell me about your radio experience. Sure. So um, when I was a junior in college, I got an internship at Hot 97. It's the number one station in America for hip hop and R&B, um, at least at the time. Um, and I started as a production intern. I was working, you know, in the corporate area, like where the offices are. And then I, I quickly got promoted to the studio, which was like the coveted studio that nobody was allowed in. And I became Angie Martinez's um, assistant producer slash intern. And I actually worked for free at the radio station for three years. Um, originally, it was for college credit. And then they just kept me on. And um, that's kind of how they prune their on air talent. Um, a lot of the people that you hear on the radio all worked for free for maybe 10 years before they got their gig. Radio is killer like that. So um, they were kind of pruning me to be the next Angie Martinez. I was uh, her assistant and did everything for her from you know, getting her nail polish when her nail polish would chip and trying to run around the city to find matching colors, um, to getting her dry shampoo, to buying her clothes, to researching her guests and, and doing her morning, you know, news research. I was like the, you know, the intern that did anything for anyone. I would get everybody coffee and feed their meters. And um, I was really integral to the team. Even though I was an intern, I would train the other interns and answer all the phones and do all the contests. And um, it was really fun uh, time working there. I, I met a lot of different celebrities. Um, anybody in hip hop that's relevant, J-Lo, Drake, 
uh, Chris Brown, um, you name it. I, I met them and, you know, would even hang out with them after work. We would uh, host parties with the DJs. Um, it was just a lot of fun. So it was a great experience, especially being like, you know, in my early 20s, um, to have that work experience. It taught me a lot of about work ethic. I remember just like always running back and forth between the office and the studio and trying to get Angie her research on time and uh, any sort of breaking news and, and just like always being on my toes. It really taught me um, how to work hard. Um, before that, I was in college and I actually wasn't doing that well. <laughs> I was failing out of school basically and like not going to class. I was like more into cheerleading and being in plays and like just like couldn't give two craps about school. And uh, then I actually dropped out of college to work at Hot 97 for that time period. Um, even though it was for free, I would make money doing showcases after work and, and uh, for these like rap showcases that Hot 97 would do. And I would make money doing that. And um I decided I, I was going to drop out of school. But once I did go back to school, when I left Hot 97, I was a different person and I got straight A's since then. So um, it taught me how to work hard. It, it really helped me mature and grow up. I love how even when you were in school and then with your first job, that it was always in entertainment. And now that you're in podcasting, it's like you, you always love that and you just had to go back to it kind of thing, right? Yeah, completely. So I really love that. And I, you also mentioned work ethic. And I feel like for all of us who have a really strong work ethic, we always have to go through something a little bit intense to develop that work ethic. And Angie Martinez, that was that was your transformation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because she she was so demanding. And she was, you know, the best on air personality in the world. And mm -hmm. so she's, you know, had so much experience. And so she really like drilled it in me what I'm supposed to do. And I feel like now I'm like my team's Angie Martinez, they probably <laughs> can't stand me. <laughs> but, but you know, um, behind your back, they call you Angie. <laughs> They're like, Did you hear what Ange said? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it was great. She she was she was a tough cookie, but she taught me a lot. Yeah, and that's what's important. Okay, I want to move on to your next experience, and that was all the female bloggers. So I tried to get information about this, but can you tell us how that started? Yeah. So when I left Hot ninety seven. Um, I'll actually give your audience like the full story. So okay. I was actually um, let go from Hot 97. Angie Martinez ended up firing me. We we were fine quickly after, but um, she fired me for something stupid. So I was- Can you tell us ahead. what it is? Because I, yeah. after just explaining all the things you've done for her, I don't understand exactly. how she fired you. <laughs> Ex exactly. It's not that I was a bad worker or mm -hmm. unproductive. It had nothing to do with that. It was more that like I I- maybe overstepped my my position and did not understand my position so i was um like i said i was an intern i was working for free mm -hmm. there was other people at the station who were working for free um one of them was um this guy his name was dj drewski he's on the radio now he's he's like the big dj drewski dj and he used to be my one of my great friends and we used to host online radio shows together he'd be the dj i'd be the host um, and so we were all friends, family, like we, you know, we were working at the station for free for, for so many years, of course, we're going to be close. So anyway, uh, Angie Martinez's producer, he got fired. And so there was like a new position for producer and I was already doing that job. I would basically do that guy's job for him every day. 
and he would just like hand the paper to Angie. <laughs> and so, but I was the one doing all the work. So I remember that they were saying that Drew was going to get a shot at um, being the producer. And I was really mad, even though he was like, he was two years older than me, whatever. But I, I was like, I've been working for free for three years and doing this guy's job already. And I've been, you know, waiting for a job to open up. And how could you guys have not have picked me? You know, I was very upset. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I was like, looking back in hindsight, I was like 22, 23. Like, why would Angie want me as her producer? <laughs> but like, back then, you like, you think that you're hot shit kind of, right? So I um, texted Drew like, Hey, I don't feel good. I'm not coming into work today. If you want to learn how to be Angie's producer, learn how to do it on your own. I said something really nasty yeah. and he showed that to Angie Angie got pissed off and she fired me. So they cut my key cards and I was like, it was just done. She, she just fired me. That was it. She, she thought, you know, if Holla thinks she can get a better opportunity somewhere else, let her do it. She doesn't, she probably thought like, I didn't appreciate the fact that I had this brand behind me and like all this stuff. And she, she let me go. And I remember all the DJs called me and like, I was hysterical. Um, Hot 97 was my life. I, I thought I was going to, you know, work there forever, just like everybody else does. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm really happy that I don't work there because I'm probably making like 10 times more money than anybody who works there right now, like just to be <laughs> frank. But at the time, it was something really special and it was something that I really wanted. So I was I was devastated. So yeah, I didn't get that. And uh, immediately after, you know, within two weeks, I had the idea, I'm going to start the sorority of hip hop. I felt like I was getting blackballed from the hip hop entertainment industry because like uh, once Angie said like, no, Hala's a, a no-go, then like nobody invited me to the parties anymore. None of the DJs could talk to me anymore. Everybody was like kind of blackballed me. And so I was really mad. And I was like, you know, I just worked for free for everybody for all these years. And then like you guys are going to, I did one mistake and you guys are going to just treat me like I never existed. It was like really messed up. And I was like, you know, no one's going to shut me out from this industry. So I decided I was going to start a platform for women called the Sorority of Hip Hop, strawberryblunt.com. I used to blog for DJ Enough. Um, and so I, I knew how to blog and I, I kind of knew the mechanics behind it. So I decided I would build a website and start recruiting girls. I had a little bit of a following on Twitter. Um, I had like 7,000 followers or something, which was a lot at the time. Yeah. And I put out some solicits on Twitter. I even put out some solicits on Craigslist. It would be hysterical if anyone could find them. Um, and I said, you know, are you a pretty girl in the ent entertainment industry? <laughs> do you work for a record label or do you work for uh, a radio station or TV? Um, you know, I'm starting the story of hip hop. If you like to blog about hip hop, music, fashion, uh, come join the team will be a, a movement um, in the industry. And within like a week, I got like 14 girls and we had our like inaugural meeting <laughs> and I was president and we started the sorority of hip hop and it, it was just awesome. And um, I went back to school and um, I started this this website at the same time. Within three months, we were one of the most popular hip hop entertainment websites in the world. And we were like the 30,000th most popular website out of millions and millions of websites period in the world. And so we were getting a lot of traction. I like figured out how to um, make it so that when we put out a blog post, it would tweet out the blog and at the celebrity. So then you'd have like, you know, all these girls, pretty girls, uh, tweeting out this blog post at messaging the, the artist and they would retweet. So then uh, we got a lot of eyeballs really quickly doing that strategy. And we were like one of the first ones to do it. 
um, at the height of it, I had like 50 bloggers under me and um, we used to have amazing photo shoots. Um, like we went to this place in Brooklyn called Five Points, which had all these like graffiti walls. And like we did an awesome photo shoot there. We did uh, a photo shoot that was sponsored by American Apparel. We were sponsored by Reebok, SMS Audio. We used to host concerts and have like uh, showcases um, where we'd give out awards to like the different rappers who won. Um, it was really cool. And uh, I guess the coolest thing that we we got out of it is MTV wanted us to be on their station for a show. They wanted us to have our own reality TV show. And so they actually scouted us twice. The first time was right in the beginning. They did some, something small. They shot us for like three days and we didn't get it, but we didn't care because we were like, it's been three months and we already got MTV wanting us on a TV show, what's going to happen in, in three years, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to take over the world. And so it, that was just a motivator. It didn't matter. Then two years later, MTV scouted us again. And this time it was like a way bigger deal. Like everybody was getting paid. They filmed us all summer. They, they got us a, a studio on Broadway. Uh, imagine like the real world, like when they have like neon signs and like all cool furniture, like they did the whole works for us. We were getting our hair and makeup done. Like I thought I made it, you know, and I was very happy and I was the star of the show. And, um, you know, they, they got five other girls who were like the main stars. And then the other girls in the, in the sorority were like kind of, um, involved, but not, not really like filmed like at home or, or with their boyfriends or whatever. And um, after all of it, they didn't give us the show. And so again, I had another big crushing moment in my life um, where I didn't get the show on MTV. And I was devastated again, but um, I kept it pushing. So how long did, did that last for two years, the blogging? Uh, two, three years. I, I'm so bad at like timelines, but like, I think it was like 2010 to like 2013. And why did you stop it? Oh, because after we... So after the whole MTV thing, so when we were filming, there was like lots of cat fights and um, they were really trying to pin us all against each other. And so like we weren't getting along anymore. Um, oh. So that was one reason. Um, me and the girls like just stopped getting along. Everybody was like really resentful towards me because I was the president and like, it, like just like some of the girls that were like high up with me, like felt like they should have like equal, you know, ownership over everything. And even though I started it and so like, there was just like a lot of like cat fights going on. We're all like great friends now and best friends again, but uh, it just, you know, it just didn't work out. And I think we were just all like, you know, kind of ready to take the next step in our careers. I personally um, couldn't take the pressure anymore. I had 50 girls looking up to me that was like, I was going to be their make or break of them getting famous or whatever their dreams were. And it was like a lot of pressure. I was really young and to, to have to run a business like that. And plus all the girls were young. And so it was just like, you know, I wasn't ready for it. I didn't have business experience to run a company like that. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't really monetize it. Like we, we were getting paid to host parties, but it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't enough money. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really unlock how to make money out of it. Um, we were really popular and then the blog scene kind of died down. And so we were getting less visits. So we weren't getting money from ads. And I just felt like, how am I going to sustain this? And I have so many people working on it. We got way too big, way too fast. I didn't know what to do. So I shut it down. <laughs> Looking back, what do you think is the biggest lesson from that experience? The biggest lesson? I mean, I think I gained a lot of skills. So like 
Mm-hmm. all my writing skills. Like I probably wrote like 2000 blogs. And so like, I really credit my success on LinkedIn to all the blogs that I wrote previously in my life. It just made me a really great writer. So like, that's, that's one thing I, I really appreciate from that experience. I think it made me a great leader. Um, since then I've been, you know, president of my alumni association and president of employee resource groups at work. And I don't think I would have ever like really stepped up to be president had I not had those experiences. I, I was confident in myself as a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just say like digital skills in general. So like social media, web management, I just like SEO. I just learned a lot of stuff because that's like, I kind of had to learn it because I had to be resourceful because I didn't really have a budget. I didn't have investors. I just had to do it with what I had. And so I really just learned how to be like scrappy and resourceful and take action. I, I, I take like unrelentless action, I think. And, and um, I think that's why Yap also became really popular really fast. It's because I just like kind of just do things. I'm not afraid to just do it. And I think um, being an entrepreneur so early um, with so many different opportunities at me, uh, you know, thrown at me, helped me know how to take unrelentless action. Yeah, I love that. And I just want to establish that so far in your career, everything was kind of in the entertainment industry. Yeah. And suddenly we're like, I don't know, 2013 at this point, and you jump into the corporate world. Yeah. So what made you make that jump? I think it was mostly pressure from my family and, and friends, honestly, because I think, um, you know, when MTV didn't pan out, it was kind of like, all right, Hala, like, enough is enough. You, you tried it. You yeah. almost made it, but you didn't. Uh, it's time to like get real, you know? And so that's, that's kind of like the vibe I was getting from everyone. And so I felt like, yikes, I better, you know, I, I did really bad in college. I had like the worst, even though my last year I got straight A's, like I graduated with like a two point something, like I did terrible because I did not care. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was like, I have to get go to school again because I have to get a good good grade so that I can go get a regular job if I want a regular job. Uh, the first job that I got right out of college was like at a water company and it was like miserable and the lady was so mean and she was like this witch and um, I worked there for like three months and I, I was making like 28 grand a year uh, in New York, which is like really bad. And so I was like, I need to go back to school. So then I decided I was going to get my uh, I I wanted to go back to school. So I applied to 14 speech language pathology schools. I thought I can't use my voice on radio. I'm going to use my, my voice for good. I kind of like kids. Let me see if I can be a speech language pathologist. I got rejected from all schools. Every school rejected me. Then I uh, went to go get, I got like my GRE. I did pretty good. And I I applied to get my MBA. um, And I basically convinced my, uh, alma mater, NGIT, the director, to allow me to go into their program. And I, I, it was like, you know, phone calls, interviews, letters to this one lady to convince her to let me into the MBA program. I ended up graduating top of my class 4.0, number one in, in the school. So um, way different than <laughs> college, <laughs> but I was a totally different person. I feel like I really transformed as a person. So um I got a 4.0 and then I got an internship at Hewlett Packard. Once like the second I got my MBA, um, I immediately, like literally, I think before I started my MBA, I used that to get that internship at Hewlett Packard. I wasn't even started in my MBA, but that got me in the door at, at HP. 
and I did my uh, MBA and internship for the full two years. And then I just kept getting promoted at HP and, and just like built a career. And it, it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed my time there. There's a great culture there. And um, it got me my credentials and, and gave me a living. So it was great. I think if I can summarize your story in one word, it would be perseverance. It's just any time that you were knocked off your stool, you were like, oh, no. <laughs> And you put another stool and then you went on it and you just kept doing that. And I want to know, like, what, what is it in you that you think just, just made you continue every time you were knocked down? You know what? I, I can't necessarily pinpoint that. I think I have some ideas. I think um, I, I was in high school when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just like right a freshman in, in high school or, or something like that. And um, right when 9-11 happened, I remember that like the teachers would unfavor me. I remember that I, I stopped making like I used to be good at soccer and like uh, they didn't, I was really at, pretty athletic, but they didn't put me on the cheerleading team or the volleyball team. They wouldn't even let me be in the town show. And I had hands down the best voice in school. Um, my only saving grace was my chorus teacher gave me a solo. And so uh, every concert. And so I was lucky because if I didn't have that, I think I would have just thought I sucked at everything, you know? And that was like the one teacher that like didn't unfavor me and, and was still nice to me the whole time. And, and which was great because I feel like I'd probably have no confidence if, if it wasn't for him. And so basically what I'm trying to say is that I was rejected over and over and over again. Um, even though my talents didn't warrant it. Like I was a great singer. They didn't even put me in the talent show. Like that's bullshit. Who doesn't, who doesn't (laughs) allow somebody to be in a talent show? Like you've got to be like cruel, you know? And so I just kind of learned to not care about rejection. And cause it's like, I was just rejected over and over. Like I just never got any opportunities in, in high school. And um, it changed when I went to college because I went to a very diverse college. And then all of a sudden I was like a superstar and like, you know, most popular girl in school and like all this stuff. And it was like way different from high school because in high school I went to like a, a very white uptight town and I was like the brown girl, you know, and it was just totally different. So I was just really used to being rejected. Um, and so I think that just gave me really thick skin so that when I did get to college and, and beyond, I just didn't care about taking chances because I was rejected every other time. So it's like, who cares? Just one more on the list, you know? I'm sorry that that happened to you, but you're thriving now. So thanks. everything happens for a reason, I guess. Um, yeah. But perseverance, definitely. Especially when I was doing my research on you, I was just like, Every time she got knocked down, she was like, okay. And then you kind of just moved on. Yeah. I, I just channeled the negative energy into something positive. I channeled the negative mm. energy into learning something new. So when I left Hot 97, I learned how to build a blog, a website. Yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I Googled it. I learned it. I did it. When I, you know, left uh, the authority of hip hop, I channeled my energy into getting my MBA. And I did well, you know, when I, there's another failure story. Um, I was not given presidency of the global young employee network at Hewlett Packard. So, and I really deserved it. I was president of our chapter at our office 
And it was like this big deal at the company. Like everybody wanted that like position. If you were a young employee, like you'd be like the CEO's pet of the whole company. And there was Mm -hmm. like 300,000 people that worked for the company. So it felt like a big deal at the time. And so I would have been like basically managing 7,000 young employees if I got this, this role and everybody was vying for me. And I had like 30 people take videos of Paula for president and like all this stuff. And I didn't get it. The HR person in charge didn't get, get, give it to me. And what did I do? I started young and profiting podcast right after. So it's like, again, it was like, I got rejected. And then I literally was like, you know what, I'm going to do something else. And, uh, I don't need to do this for the company. I can do this for myself. And I just started the podcast. So every rejection led to a new opportunity for you. Exactly. It's so clear now, now that we went through all of it. Yeah. So because you were rejected, that's what made you start Young and Profiting. Yes, exactly. I literally, like, it was my, like, revenge to them. (laughs) It literally was. Like, it turned into something much more. But, like, Mm -hmm. my thing was I wanted to lead. I wanted to have a voice of my generation. And like, I I thought that, you know, I was doing all this free work for the company and I wish I had started Young and Profiting podcast two years earlier instead, but Mm -hmm. I was doing all this free work and like charity work for the company and leading, you know, all the, all the young employees and mentoring them and, and putting on programs and this and that. And then when they didn't give me the the presidency for the global young employee network, I I just decided, you know what, I want to help people still. I want to have a voice still. I want to use my talents. I want to lead. And so I started the podcast. What made you decide podcast though at the time? Like why not another blog or why not going back to radio? Cause I just felt like podcasting was the future. So, Mm -hmm. and I also felt like it was in my control. So the the blog, uh, blogs, I felt like just died out and I was over it. (laughs) I didn't, I had a great blog and a great system and it didn't work back then. So I didn't want to make the same mistake twice. Uh, podcasting gave me my radio. It like merged my business and broadcasting passions. So I had, uh, before I used to do like interviews with artists that were like really casual about their music, about their album, um, about their love life, you know, like it was just like really casual. Now, my podcast is really educational, I'm interviewing CEOs, bestselling authors uh, on like, you know, all different topics, productivity, how to gain influence, all that stuff. It's way more educational. So it merges like my business and my broadcasting. And um, that's why I started it. You got some really high profile people right from the beginning. And I want to know how, how did you decide who to get on your podcast? Well, I just shot from the stars from the start. I knew that I had a good backstory. I knew that if I told Mm -hmm. them like, Hey, I used to have this website. Um, I haven't been in the industry for four years, but this is not my first rodeo. I used to have five different online radio shows. Um, you know, I'm a rookie in the podcasting world, but in the broadcasting space, like I'm not a rookie. And so basically what I did is I, I decided what my first topic would be. I wanted it to be on first impressions and how to be more likable. And, uh, because it was my first episode. So mm-hmm. I just reached out to all of these people, Dory Clark, Jack Schaefer, who I got, but then I also reached out to like Amy Cuddy who never responded to me. And you know, all these other, I can't even remember who they were, but I reached out to like 20 people and it's just, so happens that two people said yes. So I would definitely encourage people to always reach for the stars. You never know who's going to say yes. There's a lot of people out there that want to give people chances. And I find that the bigger and more successful somebody is, the more free time they actually have to do things Mm -hmm. like this. 
Um, whereas somebody like me, like, uh, I'm like in the middle of like trying to make it. And so it's like so busy, so busy, so busy, you know, but like somebody that's like a CEO of like a billion dollar company, like they're chilling and, <laughs> and kind of like, they've got the time. So it's funny. It's, it, it really is funny, like how it goes, but that's, that's what I've realized. So I just, um, you know, tried, I just, I just gave it a shot and I reached out to the, for the stars. I think your previous rejection also kind of lent that strategy, lent to that strategy because you were like, well, I have nothing to lose. I might as well just try. Exactly. And you just went for it. Exactly. And I knew that if I started off with high caliber guests, it would be easier and easier to get guests because now I can say like, oh, I just interviewed Seth Godin today. I don't know if you know who that is. He's like the goat of marketing. He's huge. So I just interviewed him today. Now I can tell other big people that I want on my show, I had Seth Godin on my show. And then they'll be like, oh, wow, if Seth Godin said yes, I should say yes. Like that's how like people think. Yeah. So it just escalated from there. And I also know that you spend a lot of time researching each one of your guests. And people have told me that I spend too much time researching my guests. And I spend between like two hours to like maybe six hours researching but you spend more time than that yeah I spent a lot of time researching my guests and now I have a whole team so I think (laughs) I spend less time recently because I have Mm -hmm. I don't have the time Mm -hmm. but I'm like when I was saying like I'm the mini Angie Martinez like I get it from (laughs) I got it from her and so I you know I tend to like to for big guests not mm-hmm. every guest gets the same level of research. You know, yeah. Robert Greene, I probably studied for 40 hours, but yeah. you know, I'm not going to name names, but other people on my podcast, they just don't have that much material for me to even spend that yeah, much time. Right. Exactly. So, um, I research, I think on average 10 to 20 hours per guest. Um, but then my team is also doing research. So I have a template that my team fills out and they write uh, sample questions and have research under their questions, and we have sub-questions, and uh, I listen mm-hmm. to past interviews and videos. Um, I even read their book reviews, uh, good and bad. Um, yeah, I do a lot of research, because I, I like to be, like, I like at the end of my podcast, most guests are like, I'm really impressed with what you did. You're one of the best podcasts I've ever been on. Great mm-hmm. research, great job. That to me like makes my day because then I know that from then on that person's going to respect me and we have a great relationship because they know that I didn't waste their time. If I, if I just had like now all these people that come on my podcast, a lot of them are clients or I refer them to other people. They're in my network and I want to make a good impression. And the best way for me to make an impression, I have one hour to impress them. And so what better way to impress them by knowing everything about them and their expertise and showing them like, Hey, I dedicated the time to uh, you know, show you that I care about the time you're spending with me. So that's, that's really my motive. And also obviously to get the best content for my listeners. Yeah. Cause I was going to ask you like what, cause people listening to this, I can guarantee you are going to be like, that's crazy. 20 hours. People don't have time for that, but there's that direct relationship between, okay, you are also making a really good impression, but then they can potentially be clients. They're part of your network and you're create, you're building your network and that's what the research is doing for it. 
Yeah, it's like, it's all a big circle. And I would also say that a lot of it is multitasking. So when I say studying, like a lot of it is like at the grocery store, I'm listening to their interviews. I listen to a lot of their past interviews. Mm -hmm. It gives me a clue about what they talk about frequently, what their stories are, what's really interesting that I want to get out of them. What do I not want to get out of them? And I just like start to get a feel. It also makes me more confident because I feel like I've already talked to them already. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing, I get so nervous before my interviews. Uh, my big interviews, um, if I haven't studied and I haven't heard their voice on another podcast, the, the minute I just listen to one podcast episode that they're on, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm ready. Like, you know, but if I, if I don't hear their voice, I get really nervous that like, I'm not going to know what to do. I'm not going to know what to say. They're not going to be nice, you know? And, and so, um, that helps like ease my, my like, you know, fears or whatever. Not that I'm, I'm really not that like, I'm not shy or anything, but but you're just expecting the worst. (laughs) Well, I just, you know what? I'm, I really want to do a good job. I really have high expectations for my show. And I think Mm -hmm. that's it. Like I just have like really high expectations for my show. And when I feel like I did bad on an interview, like I feel really crappy about it. And so I really like to have great episodes where my listeners and my guests are both like, wow, like you really killed it. And to me, like, it's my job. I'm a podcast host is one Mm -hmm. of my jobs and I should be the best I can be. So I, I follow you on LinkedIn. So I know a few of your podcasting tips where flashy branding, which I know that's what you use. You have, you know, very flashy colors to grab people's attention. You post consistently you, um, you build a community around your podcast and you spend a lot of time on distributing the podcast. Okay. So if you had to restart everything, how would you start a podcast today? Okay. Great question. Um, I would, first of all, I would have a lot of episodes backed up. So Hmm. Once you're a successful podcaster, you've got to stick to a schedule and it can get very stressful if somebody gets sick, if, if, you know, I had to cancel four or five interviews in a row when my family got coronavirus. And, um, now, even now I'm still paying for it. I'm only like two episodes ahead. I used to be like 10 episodes ahead. And so I'm still like, now I'm just like always behind, always behind, like trying to like get the next episode, record the next episode and be on time. And, um, I would definitely recommend that you get like 10 episodes prepared and perfect before you launch. I think that will, um, help increase your consistency. When I first started, I was doing it by myself. Now I have a team of 20 something helping me on the podcast and clients. Um, yeah, I do. I, I have like 20 people s- on my team. I didn't realize you had such a big team. <laughs> I have such a big team. I'm like, I didn't even want a team. I just always have a team. Whenever I don't even try to have a team, I just have a team. Like, <laughs> but yeah, I have a team. Uh, and everybody's so great. They're so helpful. Um, but anyway, we'll I get kind into of that later. Yeah. We were um, talking about if you had to restart, right? So if you were yeah. solo again, what would you do? Yeah. So I would, I would have 10 episodes in the clutch that I, mm-hmm. I would put out um, so that I could put them out consistently. I would try to put out two episodes a week because more episodes equals more downloads. So uh, right now I, I sort of do one or two every week and it's because I'm still playing catch up. If I had just had those 10 episodes <laughs> in the beginning, it would be a lot easier. Also, when I first started, I had a very complex format. I didn't really know what I was getting into. I was mm-hmm. interviewing two to three guests per, per episode. I was, uh, 
interviewing them and then uh, chopping it up and then piecing it together. And I was narrating in between. It was like Freakonomics, like really, I, I was really going overboard. Mm-hmm. I, I could probably do that now, you know, but back then I was by myself. And so it took me like a month or two to put out an episode. Oh I was still getting some traction, believe it or not, because they were good episodes. But, you know, once I started doing the, the weekly interviews is when I really got traction. So just making sure that you know what you're getting into in terms of your format and how long it takes and if it's realistic. Um, I think that's important too. So now you have such a loyal fan base. Okay. What do you think contributes what do you think is the biggest component of all the activities that you do contributes to that loyal fan base that, you know, probably now that I know half of them work for you. <laughs> I don't know if half of them work for me, but a lot of the people that work for me are, are, uh, were initially listeners. Yeah. They and reached I, out like, no, I love your show. Yeah. But I yeah. just, I can't believe your team is so big. I thought you were like maybe five, six. <laughs> No, no, because you know what? We have clients now, so that's why. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. And it's it's like, you know, I recruited interns. We've got our core team. Mm-hmm. And then we I've got like a, a whole design team in the Philippines. So like, that's why I have like nine people in the Philippines that work for me. Oh my God, that's crazy. So <laughs> out of everything, what do you think is the biggest component that is contributing to such a loyal fan base? I would say um, my authenticity. I know that's like such a cheesy answer, but I really am real on on LinkedIn. (laughs) And I think that um, I really do speak my mind. I give out free advice. I'm Mm -hmm. there for everyone. I talk to my fans. I, you know, respond to their DMs. I try to be human and get to know them. So I think it's like that one-on-one attention that I do give my fans. Um, and I would just say the quality of my content. I think my post content is a one. I think my podcast content is a one. I think that I really provide value. I don't just kind of talk about my life on my podcast or talk about, you know, fluff, whatever it is. I I just really get to the point and I try to teach my audience like actionable insight that will help them improve their lives. Um, and so I think that people like that. I think that my energy is very contagious. Um, and people, people like being inspired and motivated. And, um, I just, I just think it's like the positivity and, and the, um, you know, my real want and desire to help people improve their lives. We mentioned that you were solo when you started and now you have a very big team. What was the biggest challenge you faced while growing your podcast? Yeah. So, uh, hold on. I just want to make sure I want to plug in my computer so this does not die. No problem. Got it. (laughs) Um, could you repeat that? We we just, you could just, sorry, because we jumped from you starting from scratch to then you revealing that you had such a big team and there must've been some kind of growth phase, some rapid growth again, like with your bloggers, (laughs) Again, with the podcast, you had some rapid growth. So I'm wondering, what was the biggest challenge that you faced while growing? Yeah, Um, I would say just getting the right team members is tough 
like, and getting them trained up and keeping them motivated. When I first started, like we weren't making any money. So it was like totally just like volunteers. And it's very hard to get anything done when everybody's a volunteer, you know, Mm -hmm. you're just kind of like, can you do this? Maybe (laughs) like, you know, um, and, and so it's, it's much different now when it's like, you know, formal internships and people are paid and, and like, it's, it's a way more uh, steady ship. So I would say just like getting the team and getting the right team and, and motivating volunteers was really hard. Um, but at the same time, like it was very rewarding because a lot of these people learned a lot from me because I do have a ton of marketing and digital experience and podcasting and radio experience that I don't think many people have. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was able to like teach them too. Um, but in terms of like what was the biggest challenge with us growing, I, I can't really say. I feel like it's been a pretty smooth experience so far. I just just keep trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And part of that is getting a team to help me so that I can scale. Um, and like I said, just finding those right team members. I think like at this very moment, I have like the best team. Like, and I'm so proud and happy with my team. They're just like killing it and they're really excited and motivated and they've got a great culture. But there was definitely times when like there was crickets in our Slack channel. And I'm like, I'm the only one doing anything. So why do I have a team? You know? So it's like, it's like you go through those like highs and lows. And and so like right now we're at a high and um, it's a great team culture and a great team. So I'm happy. Okay. That's great. I love that. I know you also have such large audiences on different platforms, right? So you, I saw that you had like 10,000 subscribers on CastBox. Now it's 18,000. What? That's what? That's such a big jump. It was like last week. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like blowing up on CastBox. It's great. Yeah. So you have audiences on different platforms. What do you think, like what part of your strategy allows you to grow on different platforms? Um, I would say that I focus on what's working. So it's, it's, I don't really have like, I've got LinkedIn, which is like a big platform for me, obviously. I've got Instagram, but it's really not that big. I have like not even 3000 followers, but that's because I wasn't trying to get any followers on Instagram. I literally only started posting on there consistently, like, um, about the podcast, like a month ago. And so now we're starting to grow it because we're starting to get our followers from LinkedIn who want to follow me on Instagram. And so Mm -hmm. it's like becoming one whole big community where my LinkedIn followers are now catching me on Instagram. Um, For YouTube, uh, it's like a whole other world. So it's like, that's a huge focus for me in uh, 2020 and 2021. And I have a YouTube coach and I'm really trying hard to get exposure on YouTube. All of my podcasts are video and I have a video production team and we do YouTube management for our clients and for my podcast and we're getting really into it and becoming like experts in that world. Um, and so that's a lot of work and focus and learning a whole new platform. It's, it's a different ball game than the podcast channels. Um, yeah. Just for all the listeners that are freaking out right now, thinking of all the platforms they have to be on. I just want to take one step back. When you were just starting, did you focus on just one platform? Um, I focused on LinkedIn and my podcast channels, my audio only. I didn't even have video. I just did Mm -hmm. audio only. And I had LinkedIn. Once I started getting traction on LinkedIn, I was getting a lot of demand. You need to be on video. You need to be on video. We Mm -hmm. never see your face. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do everything on video now. (laughs) And then once I started doing everything on video, I was like, okay, I should be on YouTube because that's Mm. the best video channel. And um, 
you know, that's one of the most popular social networks, period. And yeah. there's a lot of opportunity, especially for podcasts on YouTube right now. And I think that I, I could have a dent, a slice of that pie, if you may. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think an important part about podcasting, which I also overlooked, is that the host is part of the branding that your people are asking for your face because they kept listening to your voice, but they didn't know what you looked like. Yeah. So that we can't overlook that part of the brand of whatever podcast that you have is you. Exactly. Completely. And, um, to that point, I remember a lot of my, I, I used to be really shy about talking about myself on the podcast. I would never talk about myself like nothing. Mm-hmm. And I would get a lot of complaints. And um, I even had a speaking coach that I had for like a couple weeks. And she she was telling me, Lila Smith, um, and she's my good friend. And she was like, Hala, I love your show, but you never talk about yourself. And we want to hear your stories. And one of the things that I always think about when I listen to your podcast, like it's so great, but I wish Hala gave her perspective. I wish Holly gave her opinion. I wish Holly told her stories. Mm-hmm. And once I started actually being comfortable telling my stories, um, I think my podcast took off even more. And um, so I'm really happy that she gave me that insight and that she told me like, you know, stop being so humble and, and start talking about your experiences. You've done some cool things in your life. Um, and so I started doing that. And I think my guests even relate to me more too, because I, mm-hmm. I give them a little bit of insight about my journey and what I've done. So um, You've yeah. also accomplished a lot. When I was doing uh, my research, and also just because I know some of your story, I was like, I don't understand. Like, she has like 40 years experience. I just, <laughs> with all the stories that you tell, I'm like, wait, she was a blogger. She was on the radio. It's just. <laughs> and there's so much stuff that I'm not even, I feel like I never even talk about. I like raised like $300,000 from Palestine. I used to do all these fundraisers too. I never talk about it, but like I used to do a lot of fundraisers and things like that too. So I, I have experience. You know what? <laughs> this was, this was, um, during Hewlett Packard, like while I was okay. at, at Hewlett Packard so many things yeah so many things but I love it um yeah okay so you've built a loyal following um very strong community um you have over 500 million downloads which is probably almost at a million at this point yes I have I have over a million downloads across all channels now over a million downloads across all channels now for anyone listening to this thinking that, oh, maybe podcasting is not for me, it's too hard, what are maybe the three top reasons people should start a podcast? Okay, great. Great question. I think number one is to talk to people that you would otherwise have no access to. So I get to talk to Mark Manson, Robert Greene, Seth Godin, all these awesome best-selling authors, top CEOs, the co-founder of Kickstarter, the co-founder of Square, these amazing people that I would have not had an opportunity and would be like, I don't have time for you, Hala. I don't want a cup of coffee with you. Right. (laughs) Um, and they actually sit down and take the time and, and, you know, are on time to talk to me and 
be on my show. And that's amazing that I get to have these personal conversations. I get to ask them whatever I want. I get an hour with these amazing minds and I get to ask them whatever I want. And then I get to scale that to my audience. And I think that's an amazing thing. So that's number one, just learning from people you would otherwise have no access to. Number two is growing your network. So you get to meet all these very accomplished people. For me, this has turned pretty suddenly, honestly, like it went from like, kind of like bubbling up to like all of a sudden, everybody wants me to be their marketing, like expert, you know, and everybody wants my services. And um, it just starts with a couple high profile people believing in you. And then they, Oh, this person believes in her. I believe in her too, you know, and, and it's just so it's like this growing your network. And I'm really good at not hoarding my network. So I like to introduce my contacts to each other. And I'm really good at that. So um, somebody will come on my show and then I'll be like, Hey, come on Jordan Paris's show or come on Lauren Tickner's show or come on like all my other friends who have podcasts and I'll introduce them and give, give them other opportunities. That makes my podcasting friends happy. That makes the guests happy. Um, and then they think of me for other upcoming opportunities because they remember, Oh, Hala did me a solid. Let me think about her. So I like to introduce my contacts to each other. So that's another thing, just like growing your network, um, and getting, uh, that exposure. And then lastly, it's lead gen. So um, people who come on your podcast could end up being clients. Um, people who come on your podcast could also um, help you get clients by talking about the topic, like whatever the topic is and, and, and generating leads that way. So um, you can definitely get, um, I would say you're not going to become a millionaire just with the pot. Like when you launch your podcast, like that's mm -hmm. not going to happen. A lot of people think like podcasting is some like get rich quick. It's not, it's actually like, you're probably going to spend money on your podcast before you make money, like definitely spending more than you're making at least for the first year. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that for lead gen, that's a different story. I think, I think that can be profitable from day one. If you use it as a lead gen tool, if you have some other business and you use this as a way to, to get, um, organic engagement from your community and, and just become an authority. Um, one thing that I'll say is that like, you're not going to really drive like clicks through a podcast. It's really awareness based. So be careful when you take sponsorships and they want people to actually buy something, uh, because people aren't going to listen to a podcast and then go type something in and buy something like that's not, it's not common. It's not, it's going to be a really hard sell. Mm -hmm. Um, it's better like to do like display ads for something like that. So it's really awareness based. So if you're going to take sponsorships, make sure that they know that it's, it's based on the awareness. Um, and the amount of downloads that happen for your podcast and not necessarily like buying anything because it's going to be a hard, hard thing to do. Even with, I have like such a loyal fan base and even when I've ever tried to do anything like that, it's not really successful. So um, that's my advice there. Yeah. Maybe it's not um, the right medium for that kind of sponsorship. Yeah. I think like having a direct link to something um, mm -hmm. on, on like the web is a way better strategy to actually get people to buy something on a podcast. It's more awareness. Yeah. Because also when people are listening to podcasts, they can be cleaning, they can be in the car. They're not next to a computer ready to buy whatever. Exactly. And then, and then it goes away. They don't, yeah. they, they, they didn't memorize the website. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. I think uh, maybe when you're like, you know, Joe Rogan and you've got millions and millions and millions yeah. of people listening, it's a different story. But I think for most podcasters, that's not really going to happen. That's not really how you make money. Yeah. And also people forget that Joe Rogan was doing podcasting for 10 years yeah. before he got a Spotify deal, you know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Hala, I absolutely loved chatting with you. I have Thank you. one last question for you that I ask okay. all my guests. 
This is the no formula podcast because there is no single formula to success. So I want to ask you, what do you think is your formula that got you to where you are today? I think my formula is action plus passion can make anything happen. So kind of right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it does. And I made it up myself. I'm really proud of it. (laughs) I had my team make a social media post about it the other day. That's why I was top of mind. (laughs) But yeah, action plus passion can make anything happen. And I really believe that. And um, I I really think that if you believe in yourself, believe in what you're doing, um, you take relentless action, like I was talking about before, you can achieve anything. You can be anything, you can do anything. Life is limitless. And and that's what I want people to understand. Well, thank you for sharing your story and your expertise. And I'm definitely going to keep in touch with you. But thank you very much. Thanks, Laura.